Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. Well, good morning and welcome to the house of the Lord. It's good to gather gather with you today. Um, I, want you to, I want you to think about something. You don't have to answer out loud, um, but I want you to think about something. What is the most ridiculously generous thing you have ever done or heard, heard of? Ridiculously generous. What's the most ridiculously generous thing you've ever heard of? I have, I have a couple stories of, of some ridiculously generous things that have gone on. The first one is, is a, a, a pastor friend of mine who um, had received um, an inheritance. It was a pretty large inheritance, um, over, over $100,000. Um, and he just felt led by God to just give the whole thing away and just generously, graciously gave it away uh, to a need that he had encountered. Um, and and I, I never knew. I, I had heard this story from somebody else. He, he, he never told me, and I, I don't know the details of it, but just, uh, just gave it away, over $100,000, because he said, I'm fine. I'm in a plate. I'm content. I don't, I don't need this. And there was a need that was there. Um, you don't often hear about this. Another story, um, more in the, in the business world, um, there was, uh, and you may have heard about this, uh, a CEO in, a, in a, a company that was based out of Seattle and, and felt, felt like his workers were just working hard and, and up in the Seattle area, it was hard to, to make ends meet. And he had struggled and wrestled with this for a while. Um, and he was making, well, he, he made this decision. He said, I need, to, I need to care for my people better. And so he set his minimum wage as $70,000 a year. He said, everybody that's going to work for my company is going to make this, this amount. And he said, we don't have the money to do this, so I'm going to take my salary, which is $1.1 million, and I'm going to reduce mine down to $70,000 to pay for about half of this, um, and, and took a pay cut to, 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 to fund this decision that he made. Um, and I, you hear stories of ridiculous generosity and go, wow, wow. What, what would it take? What, what amazing situation would it take to lead us towards these ridiculously generous moments? Today we're going to we're going to hear about one of those things, one of, one of those situations that we find um, as we turn to our, our lectionary text. The lectionary gospel text this week steers us uh, toward the book of John. We've talked about this before, but, but year A kind of focuses on Matthew, B on Mark, and C on Luke. 
But in every one of those years, every once in a while, because John doesn't get its own year, they jump to the Gospel of John. Um, And so today we're going to be turning to John chapter 12 um, and the first eight verses of that chapter as we look to the Gospel text from the lectionary uh, this week. Um, As we read out of reverence for the reading of God's Word, those who are willing and able, would you please stand? Um, as we read from John chapter 12, the first eight verses. A reading from the Gospel of John. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus and his sisters hosted a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who joined him at the table. Then Mary took an extraordinary Amount, almost three quarters of a pound of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, then wiped it with her wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the aroma of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one that was about to betray him, complained. This perfume was worth a year's wages. Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag and would take what was in it. Then Jesus said, leave her alone. This perfume was used in preparation for my burial. And this, sorry, this perfume was to be used in preparation for my burial. And this is how she has used it. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please be seated. What an incredible story of generosity. What an incredible story of of a lavish outpouring. Now, this story comes to us right on the heels of the story of Lazarus and something unusual happening in his life and his death and his coming back to life. If you know the story, it's found in John chapter 11. Jesus had been told his friend Lazarus was seriously ill, and, and the, that he needed to come back to Bethany, back to Lazarus's home, for he was not doing well at all. As it turns out, Jesus kind of takes his time getting back. As you read in John chapter 11, gets um, distracted by a few things or takes his time in a few ways. And it turns out that Lazarus dies. A few days later, he eventually heads back to Bethany, where Lazarus and his two sisters lived, Mary and Martha. Now, this is the first that we've heard of Mary and Martha in in John's gospel. This is the first time that they show up, is when Lazarus has gone sick and Mary and Martha are calling them. But we know of Mary and Martha through another gospel. In Luke chapter 10, There's the story of Martha and Mary and Jesus coming to their home. Now, likely some of you have heard this story before, right? Mary and Martha and and Jesus comes to their home. um, and, And if you haven't heard the story, Mary is the one who sits at Jesus' feet and listens to his teaching and wants to be in the presence of Jesus. Martha, on the other hand, is busy going around the house and preparing food for the meal and getting the details done. And she kind of becomes a little indignant, if you recall. She'll kind of, she kind of says, what's the deal here, Jesus? Shouldn't Mary offer me a hand? 
Shouldn't Mary kind of help me out here? I'm doing all the work. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen the better path. Mary has chosen to sit and worship while you have been busy with the details of the day. Well, in, in John chapter 11, jumping back to there, we, we see that, that Jesus raises Lazarus, brings him back to life. He had been in the tomb several days. The people that were there were like, I don't think this is a good idea. Let's not open the tomb. We don't know what it's going to smell. Well, we do know what it's going to smell like. But they roll the stone away. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And all wrapped up in his grave clothes, Lazarus comes waddling out. And John is crystal clear. John's clear in, in chapter 11. It was this moment that prompted the religious ruling class, the Pharisees and, and the elders that existed in Jewish community. It prompted them, we need to start looking for a way to get rid of Jesus. This is, this is off our radar. This is crazy. I don't know how this happened, but this guy is getting a little too popular, and we need to get rid of him. It, it made them mad. <laughs> it ticked them off. Probably not because Lazarus was raised, but because Jesus was showing who he was. Jesus was showing his power. Jesus was raising people from the dead. And that, that got noticed. <laughs> so what did Jesus do? John says at the end of, of chapter 11, it says he, he retreated from the public eye for a little while. He withdrew from public notice, said, I need to take a little time away. And we come to John chapter 12. We come to this chapter, the beginning of this chapter, the, the final piece of preparation for Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem. The next section of scriptures where Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and we're going to talk about that next week on Palm Sunday. And, and as he arrives to, to Jerusalem, the effect of all that he has been doing in his ministry, the raising of Lazarus, the healing of those that are sick, will come to the forefront, for he will be welcomed in Jerusalem with extravagance. But this final narrative before Jesus enters Jerusalem, this, this one last time, and it's done in a private area in someone's home. Have you ever thought about what life might be like for, uh, or as a well-known celebrity or a public figure? <laughs> when you go out anywhere, you're going to be recognized, Right? In, in, in a crowd, in a public space, or in an airport, people see you and say, aren't you? Aren't you so-and-so? Can I get my picture with you? Can I get, could, would you give me your autograph? Or, or maybe they have some harsh words for you. I can't believe you did this or said that. That when you go out, you're recognized. Certainly this was beginning to happen in the life of Jesus. The crowds had come to Jesus when he was out and ministering, for he was known as a healer. He was known as a humble teacher, and now he was known as a resurrector. 
Someone who could bring people back from the dead. I think it's in that, that moment where he drew away, where he came to that, to that quiet place where he withdrew from the public eye. I think Jesus was building up his strength for what was about to happen, for what was about to come. For there is a great strength that can be found in silence and solitude in preparing for what was to come. John doesn't tell us the span of time that he, that he withdrew, that, that he was away from the public eye. But Jesus came back, and when he came back, he came back to a place that was familiar, a place of safety, a place of respite for him. He went back to Bethany, to the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And what is clear is that, that Mary and Martha fell into their respective roles that we learned from, from Luke chapter 10, right? The story of, of Mary tending to the worship of Jesus and Martha tending to the details, serving, setting the table, get, getting all the things done. And I just have to say, praise the Lord for all of those people who, who get the work done, the doers, the helpers, for, for people motivated to get things done, Right? That shouldn't be taken away from Martha. Martha's serving the meal. For when we see a need, we meet a need, right? But while we hear very little about Martha, and we hear very little about Lazarus, all Lazarus gets is, yeah, he was there too. Um, he wasn't even helping, right? He's just, yeah, he was present. But it's two other figures in this gospel story that move into focus and become the heart of, of what we see in this passage, Mary and Judas. And Mary takes this jar of perfume, and it says she pours it over Jesus. Not any jar, not just any jar of perfume, right? The gospel writer says very expensive, a year's wages worth. Today's, today's lingo, that's twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 worth of perfume poured out on the feet of Jesus and dried with her hair. It's interesting here in this moment to consider some of the, the parallel passages um, for each, each gospel speaks about the anointing of Jesus in, in a slightly different way. Okay, uh, and parallel texts to this passage really come in Matthew and Mark. There's one in Luke chapter 7, but we kind of believe that to be a different story as some of the details that are lined out are, are different. But, but in Matthew and Mark specifically, they, they mention pouring, pouring the oil, and this is in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, if you want to write those down and look those up later. But, but it specifically mentions that the oil was poured out on the head of Jesus, not the feet. So if this is a, a large uh, <laughs> jar of perfume, it's, it's likely that the different gospel writers remember different aspects of this anointing. But it says that, that, that it was poured over his head, and, and likely in, in those, in those uh, gospels was meant to see as Jesus the King being anointed and, the, and uh, deserving of being honored. But here in John, the anointing is upon the feet. It's upon the feet 
signifying the humility of, of Mary as she's, she's pouring this out on Jesus, signifying the, the humility that she had in front of Jesus Christ and being profoundly grateful for what had just happened. What had just happened? Step back a week or two weeks, we don't know. What had just happened? Her brother raised from the dead. Also interesting in, in the differences that we find in the gospel accounts, um, and, and particularly as we're in Lent and approaching Holy Week next week, is that John places this anointing right before he enters Jerusalem. He had taken this respite. He's about to enter Jerusalem. He stops in Bethany to have this meal and is anointed before heading into Jerusalem. Both in Matthew and Mark, it happens during Holy Week that this anointing happens. Um, Carson, D.A. Carson writes this, the time indicators in Matthew and Mark are notoriously loose. Uh, in other words, they kind of mess with the timeline or there's evidence that, that the, the chronology is a little less important for Matthew and Mark, um, implying that, that maybe the, the layout of the timeline is maybe a little more accurate or reliable in John. But what a fitting place to talk about the anointing of Jesus, to talk about the, the preparation for his burial. Then the week before Palm Sunday, the week before he's going to enter Jerusalem. Mary is the one, again, who, who understands worship, who, who is, is the instigator of this extravagance that is poured out on Jesus. Judas is the opposite. Judas is the opposite. Judas is the, the pragmatic one. Don't you see? Don't you see all the good we could have done with this money, the value that could have been sold? We could have given it to the poor. We could have fed a lot of people. And the value of that perfume is now just, it's just gone. <laughs> Judas, though, gets no gentle treatment in the Gospels, Right? <laughs> If there's, if there's a way that we can pick on Judas, we're going to do that in the Gospels. Now, the reason for that being, not that, that this is what the disciples were thinking in the moment, but the Gospels were written 30 years later, <laughs> after they figured out what happened, after they figured out who had betrayed Jesus. And so anytime Judas shows up in the Gospels, he, he kind of gets the harsh treatment and deservedly so. They all know what Judas does in the end. He was the betrayer. He was the instigator of Jesus' arrest and capture. He was the one who had given Jesus a kiss. And here he is, present, at one of this most meaningful, poignant, beautiful acts of worship that we have recorded in the Gospels. One who had so much to be grateful for. Her brother raised from the dead. And this act of extravagant worship. He got to be there for that. What does he say? Are we, are we sure this was a good idea? Should we really have wasted all this potential? On Jesus. Verse 6 offers this commentary, hilarious, you know. This wasn't because he cared about the poor, <laughs> but because he was skimming off the top of the money bag. 
It's Jesus who speaks up in Mary's defense. Not surprising. It's Jesus who speaks up in defense. And here he ties, he ties Mary's actions to his burial. Throughout the Gospels, the disciples had been, and Jesus' followers had been hearing about him talking about the need to die, the need to sacrifice, the need for his burial. And they're just not ready for it. They're just not ready to hear this kind of talk. Every time it comes up, it's like there's this awkward pregnant pause of, uh, he's talking about dying again, guys. <laughs> what, what do we do? We don't know how to talk about this. I'm convinced that in the moment that a lot of these comments just flew right over the heads of the disciples and those that followed Jesus. They didn't understand. They didn't understand what was coming until they were writing the Gospels down. And, and they sat together and say, remind me about that time, that time when Mary poured that perfume. What did he say? He said, this, was, this, this perfume was meant for preparation for my burial. And that is what she has used it for. Don't criticize her. Don't take, her, don't take that away from her. One of the Gospels says, and every time this Gospel story is told, Mary's name will be remembered because of her extravagant gift. These gospel writers, with the, with the benefit of hindsight, write this back in and say, this was per meant, this perfume was meant for my burial, and that is what she has used it for. Jesus goes on and talks about the poor um, in response to what Jesus had said. He said, you're always going to have the poor. We have, a, we have a responsibility to the poor as the people of, of Jesus Christ, as the people of God. We have a responsibility to serve and to care for the poor who are among us. It, it's, it needs to be said, Jesus' words don't change that, don't nullify that for us. There's no detracting from the need of that in our community and, and, and of the people that, that we see on a day-to-day -day basis. Finding a way to serve those less fortunate, those who are struggling, is critically important as being followers of Christ, and we cannot neglect that. But as, but as we enter into this season, as Palm Sunday comes next week, followed by Holy Week. And, and I'm super excited for all those things that we're offering on Holy Week, and we want you to, to come and be a part of all of those, those things. We're going to try to try to write the story of Jesus' final week before his crucifixion as we go through the different activities of, of Holy Week this year. But, but as we prepare and as we get close, the question becomes for us in this story, how can this shape us? How can this begin to inform our lives? What can we learn from this anointing? As these two characters are polar opposites, the two characters that kind of come to the forefront of this story, Mary, who spent an extravagant amount and, and, and incredibly generous in her worship of Jesus Christ, and Jesus, who says, eh, couldn't that money have been spent better? I'm left with questions that say, sound like this. 
Which am I more like? Which am I more like? Am I more like Mary? Or am I more like Judas? I'd like to jump in real quick and, and, and be confident. and be Oh, I'm, I'm much more like Mary. I, I love to worship. I, I definitely would love to go overboard for Jesus. George Stroop writes this, the, the choice for the reader is not whether to identify with one or the other in this story. The Christian disciple is neither Mary nor Judas, but a paradoxical combination of both. <laughs> As I read that, all of a sudden, cut to the heart. Because maybe in my life, well, a lot of the time, maybe I'm more measured. Maybe, maybe I'm more calculating. Maybe, maybe I'm more careful to say, ah, does this make sense? Maybe I, I come with a careful and rational approach not just with my perfume, <laughs> but with my time and with my talents, with my commitments, with my worship. That in each of our lives, we play this interplay between Mary and Judas. One part of us wanting to, to, to pour out all that we have and give our lives away and, and, to, and to offer all that we have to Jesus. And another part of us saying, eh, what can we afford? What do I have time for? What do I have energy for today? Then maybe in this season, the invitation is to pour out the jar. To pour out our jar, to let it flow, to not let it be restricted, to not let it be restrained not give over to hesitancy, to careful calculation, but in the presence of Christ sitting at his feet to pour out our extravagant worship in full, the whole jar. It's that kind of pouring that, that fills a room with the fragrance of worship and changes lives, changes our lives, but changes the lives of those around us who can smell the aroma of that worship. We want that, amen? We want to live that way. As we close today, I'm going to invite the, the praise team to come forward. We're going to close, as we often do, with, with a song. But as we close today, my invitation is this. Just take, take inventory today. As you examine your own life, take inventory today. Are you like Mary? Extravagant, immodest even. It was immodest for Jewish women to let down their hair, and here she is wiping his dusty feet with her hair. Opulent and overwhelming. As you take inventory, is that, is that your life? Or like me, sometimes do you struggle struggle with the brain thing. Like the heart wants to worship, but the brain's like, nah. Calculating and measuring. Wondering if your time could be more useful elsewhere. And 
instead focusing on all the things you're giving up instead of what you're pouring out and who you're pouring them out to. The invitation today is to be, to be Mary and to pour out the jar of perfume. My prayer is that we would all look and respond and be a little bit more like Mary. Would you pray with me before we sing? God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this, this recording of, of such a significant moment in your life as you prepared to, to enter Jerusalem, as you prepared for what was to be a life-ending week for you and a life-changing week for us. That you had this moment, this moment of worship that allowed for one who was faithful to just extravagantly, generously pour out this act of worship in your life. I've been thankful today that as we look at it, that it can be meaningful to us too as we take inventory, as we take stock of, of where our lives are. May we be honest before you. May we be honest with ourselves. And may we be just a little bit more this week and the next week and the next, like Mary, worshiping you with all that we are. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The world likes to convince us. Don't go too overboard. Don't go too overboard with this Jesus thing. Yeah. Don't be one of the crazies. Yet here we have this example of Mary, wholly devoted, pouring the most extravagant gift, the most valuable item she has to her name out upon Jesus. The world says... Hold back a little bit. Maybe hear the words of Jesus ringing in our ears this week. Not so with you. Amen? Amen. May it be so. As a prayer, prayer benediction this, this morning, I invite you to hold out your hands. Just as a physical reminder, we receive this benediction today into our lives. Glory to God who was able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his power that is at work within us today. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and always. Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ. joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.